again. In my life, I've been blessed. And in one of the many, many ways that I've been blessed, that I've been able to speak in a lot of places. A lot of places. And through the years, I've learned a lot of lessons about our churches. And there was one particular thing that has stood out to me, I guess probably in the last 10 years, of being able to go to some small churches, medium-sized churches, large churches. And it's this. Some churches I go to and there'll be no children. Uh, I, I look out in the audience and no children. Sometimes I look out in the audience and there ain't even no teenagers. And uh, I have to be honest with you, there was a time in my earlier days as a, as a preacher that crying babies bothered me. But after going to some churches like that over and over and over again, I, during the week and, and preaching there, I just wish I could hear one baby cry. I wish I could just see one teenager. Crying babies don't bother me anymore. Because I've understood, I understand something and I've gained a lesson about going. And it seems like to that congregation, it really doesn't matter that there are no children, there are no teenagers. On the other hand, I've gone to some churches and you could tell their young people, they were priority. I mean, you could look at how the parents were involved in the life of their children. And they had their children there. And their children were involved in the activities of the church. You could see in that church, even the older people had a heart and soul, even though maybe their children were long gone as far as being older and out of the, out of the teen years or the, or the cradle roll years. But the older people were excited and involved in the lives of the children in the church. And you could look at the church budget and you could see how much that church had budgeted for youth. And you say, you know what? Those children matter in that church. On the other hand, I've been to a third kind of church. It's a church that has some children. It's a church that has some teens. But just the opposite from the second one. The parents are not involved. They could care less. They could care less in many cases if their children come to church. They could care less of what's going on and having their children involved in, in the ministries and in the work of the church. You could see that the older folks really didn't care that much about the young people. They were wrapped up in their world and their adult ministries. And you can look at the budget. And you see the budget of the money that was allotted to, to help to bring up those children, the nurture, the admonition of the Lord within the church. You could see that children didn't matter. 
Now here's the sad thing, folks. If this last church I just described doesn't have a change of heart, and if children do not come to matter within that local church, it's going to become like that first one I described to you, where there are no children and there are no teenagers. It seems to me that we live in a culture today where we have devalued children. You think about it in America today. It seems to me like in America today, it said we don't want to be bothered with children. Uh, every day in our country. And, and if you don't know this, I mean, I, it's on TV, it's in our papers, it's on uh, social media, it's on the internet. Every day in America, children are verbally abused, they're physically abused, they're emotionally abused, and they're sexually abused. Our children today, even though we live in such modern times and have all this technology and everything, our children today live in some very difficult times. It's unbelievable how many children do not have the health care in this country that they need. And our children are going off to schools today in this country and they're being taught what are the proper pronouns to be used and how that they are to support a sexual, immoral thing that goes on and no writing and arithmetic and math and, and science is being taught. We're more concerned about the culture and what's uh, politically correct and what's woke. Children live in that kind of environment. Many of our children today live in a crime-infested world. Many of our children today, even in America, live in poverty. Now you might think and you might say, well, Brother Hines, it's sort of been that way, isn't it? Even in the past, back in the 50s when you had homes that were together and homes, that, I mean, hasn't it sort of been that way? Yes, but there's something different about today, folks. Back then, even though you had poverty and maybe you had some crime, not near as much as you have today, but you had those kind of things, it seemed like children were valued back then. Today, they're not. Now, there are a lot of indicators, a lot of indicators. I'll just mention two. Number one, the abortion rate. Abortion. Each year in America... We'll kill almost a million babies. What does that say about the heart of a nation? What does that say about the heart of people? I mean, you, you look at the abortion rate. I'll tell you another thing that's a great indicator, and that's the narcissism that we have in our country today. It's the, it's the me, 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 me. It's the selfishness that we have today. You know, there were, in days gone by, where parents would uh, be more concerned about their children and the upbringing of their children than they were themselves. I've had people to tell me through the years, well, we, we almost split. We almost divorced, but you know, we had our kids. And we loved our kids and we wanted our kids to be taught right. And we wouldn't do it. We stayed together because of the children. 
Now later on, they might divorce when the kids are gone, or many times they stay together and work it out. But it's a different world today, folks. Think about it. All we're concerned about is ourself. And so mom and dad decide to go their separate ways. There's no concern about the kids. Oh, they'll be okay. Used to, you see, parents would sacrifice for the children, but today it's like the kids sacrifice for the parents because of what they want and what they think. A lot more indicators. Now, here's where I'm leading with this. Here's where I'm leading. You know as well as I do that what's in our culture has a way of just sneaking right in to the church. And it makes me wonder sometimes today at some of our churches, in this particular area about how we value children, if that kind of thinking is sort of snuck in. It makes me wonder when I look at a poll, it, it was a poll uh, surveying uh, preachers of all religions, but it, it was a, a, a poll that said, uh, do you have priority? Does your children's ministry have priority in your church? And only 24% of them said that the children's ministry had priority. And then I begin to wonder when I look at another poll, and of all these religions that were asked, how difficult is it for you to get Bible teachers? And 70% of them said it's difficult, it's very difficult to get teachers to teach our children. Man. You know, I wonder that because of what I see. I remember working full-time there at Hartzell. And I, I was hoping that there would be just one time, just one time, one time, that our deacon over education would come to me and say, Philip, you've got to quit talking about we need teachers. i got people knocking at my door. I don't have enough places for our teachers. Philip, quit talking about we need Bible teachers. That never happened. Today we have to beg people, coerce people. And today, in our churches, It seems like they just don't matter, children, anymore. Today, a lot of us as older folks, we say, well, I was there when my kids were growing up, and I've done my share, and now we feel like we don't have to anymore. Folks, I know this is heavy stuff, but let's just get honest. It takes, for us as a church, it's just, we are a spiritual family. It takes all of us. Not only moms and dads, but it takes all of us. It takes the older people being invested in the children. It takes the leadership being invested in the children. It takes the members. And it takes the parents. It takes everything. It takes all of us. Often today, as I visit churches... I see, I look down a dark hallway and I see that's where the children or the teens go to class and they go into a room and there may be a table and maybe a chair and there are other furniture stacked up here and there and you can see there's not much love and concern and 
preparation for that class. I see it often. I look at church budgets sometimes when I'm allowed to do so and I see how much or how little is given to church ministries. I uh, feel sometimes in some of the churches I've been into that the feeling is that Bible school teachers and those who work in children's ministry, they're nothing more than just babysitters. And that's all they are. And I wonder sometimes if this has crept into our, the, the culture and the thinking of the culture has crept into our church when I hear such things as people say, we got to do something about those crying babies. And we're all upset because a baby cries. You know, I'll have to confess to you that in my years of ministry, there have been times that I thought my work was more important than anybody else's. And my work was more important than that of teaching our children, encouraging parents to be involved in the church, encourage the church to be involved. I thought my work was a whole lot more important, but you know, I began to look back and I began to think about my life. The basic knowledge that I have of the Bible was because there were some people in my family, my spiritual family, not only my mom and dad who brought me, but people in my spiritual family who love me. And the basic biblical foundation I have is because of people like Bobby Scott who was teaching my junior high school and who challenged us. Johnny Clemens who taught our teenage Bible class and who put pressure on us to learn and to, and to memorize the Word of God. And Melvin Campbell, who had that little pew packers class, and would go over and over and over and over these biblical facts every Sunday afternoon. And I thought this. I don't know if I'm right in my thinking, okay? You see, as I've become retired, and as I've got older, I've got bolder, and I just say things sometimes I wouldn't say, a local preacher wouldn't say, okay? Uh... But I've wondered this. Could it be that, that our emphasis is off of children when we look and we see what we do with our best teachers? It seems like we've got to take our best teachers and we've got to teach the adults with our best teachers. Now, I'm not saying if you teach the kids that you, you're second, Phil. I'm not saying that at all, but I just wonder that. It's like the adults have got to be fed spiritually and the adults have to have the attention. And I understand that to some degree. But I'm wondering, do children really, really matter? Some of our churches today, I know this. I know when you go to the Old Testament and you began to look at children, children mattered. I mean, that was one thing that people wanted. That was the thing, thing that mothers or, well, women who were barren wanted to be mothers. And they thought it was just a gift from God to have children. If you really want to see it, there are many places we can go. Look in Psalms 127 if you want to see the heart and soul of the Jewish nation about their attitude toward children. Look at it. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows, in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. 
Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Now take your Bible and turn with me to, to Mark chapter 10. I want you to understand something. And the point I want to make today is that children matter to Jesus. They always matter to Jesus. Now I want us to look at this particular text, okay? Notice in verse 10, it says in, that Jesus is sitting in the house. His disciples also ask him again about the same matter. So Jesus is sitting in the house. Let me lay the groundwork for you folks. He's sitting in the house and all around him, people are bringing their children to him. Now can you imagine the scene? We, we know how little two-year-olds are and three-year-olds and four-year-olds. Can you imagine all the crying that's going on? Can you imagine the chasing each other that's going on? Can you imagine all the chaos that's taking place? And I want you to see how Jesus deals with this. I want you to see more than anything else that children matter to Jesus. In fact, it's interesting to me. It seemed like children were always around Jesus. It seemed like whenever Jesus wanted an illustration of something, he'd just pull the children because the child was right there. Let me give you just one example. Go back one chapter into Mark 9. And there in Mark 9, verse 37, notice, Jesus, in verse 36, it says that Jesus takes a child. He just pulled because the child is there. He just takes a child. And he says, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Man. Folks, I know that Jesus loved children. And if Jesus loved children, we ought to love children. We ought to love so much that we give them as moms and dads. We invest our time. We invest our energy. We invest our money in bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They ought to matter to us as a church. Then we invest whatever we need to make sure that when they leave, they will not depart from the faith. Children matter to Jesus as we look at Mark 10, number one, because of His touch. Because of His touch. Notice what verse 13 says. Now keep in mind now, there are children all around Him. People are bringing their children to Jesus. And the text says, then they brought little children to Him that He might touch them. That He might touch them. Now let's look at that for just a moment. It says they... The only thing that could be would be parents. They, the parents, brought little children. In Luke's account, Luke would uh, use the word infants. And when you look at the Greek word there, it's talking about smaller children. So they brought little children to him. Now, you look at that and you wonder, and you say, why are they bringing these little children to Jesus? Well, it says to touch them. Why? Someone might say, well, they're bringing these children to Jesus to be healed. Probably not. Someone says, well, they're bringing these children to Jesus to be baptized. No way. No way. We understand that there are certain things that you 
have to do. I mean, there's the hearing of the gospel, there's the believing, there's the repenting and the confessing that little infants and little children can't do. So logically, it can't be that. And besides that, the Bible tells us in John 4, 2, that Jesus didn't baptize anybody. So it's not that. So what's going on here when they bring these little children to Jesus? Well, what you've got here is an old Hebrew tradition. Okay? It's just bringing children and passing on a blessing to them. It would be something like Isaac, you know? Isaac passes a blessing. Jacob steals Esau's birthright blessing. And Isaac passes this blessing on by touching him and giving him this blessing. You look at Jacob, and, and Jacob would uh, give a blessing to Ephraim and Manasseh. He would pass a blessing on, probably because they were of an, Ethio, they were of an Egyptian mother. And to make sure that all the others understood that they were his, and that they were God's people, there's a blessing that passes on to Ephraim and, and to Manasseh. That's probably what's going on here. They're bringing these little children so that Jesus can touch them and bless them in a very special way. I want you to notice here, folks, that Jesus did not think that crying babies were intolerable. They brought little children to Him. I say to you and me today that as parents, that should be our ultimate goal is to bring our children to Jesus. We should be more, inf more concerned about that than anything in all the world, that we bring our children to Jesus. And as a church, we ought to be concerned. Our children ought to matter to the point that we want to make sure that we bring them to the truth and that we bring those children to Jesus. As parents, we ought to be bringing our children to God. And that ought to matter. We ought to be bringing them to the moral values that are in this book and teaching them the moral values in this book. You see, as parents, we ought to be sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ and then when they leave our homes, they know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had one mother tell me one time, she says, I'm not going to force religion on my children. They want to come, they can come. But don't they don't. Folks, when you say something like that, you know what you're saying? You're saying that God is an option. And He's not. And you know when you are a parent like that and your children really don't matter spiritually, do you know what you're saying? I'm going to let something or somebody else Give them their character and their values. Because you have relinquished yourself from passing on the moral values and the teachings of this book. And you know what you're going to do? If children really don't matter in your life as parents and as grandparents, of passing on those moral values, you know what you're going to do? You're going to turn it over to either two things, more than likely. Either the television or the internet. That's it. You think about it. They say that we, the average person watches five to six hours a day of TV. They say that uh, we Americans spend uh, an average of 20 hours a week 
on the internet. For some of you, that's just a starter. How do you think about that? Do you know from the time of, till you get the age of 78, if God lets you live to 78, you will have spent 16 years of your life watching TV. You will have, if you get to the age of 78, you will have spent nine years of your life on the internet. If you bring your children to church, and let's just be real liberal here, you bring them four times, Sunday morning, Bible class, Sunday for preaching, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You bring them four times, by the time they get the age of 78, that will take up one year and 11 months of their life. Now you think about that. 16 years of TV, nine years of your life on the internet, one year and 11 months in Bible school or church. You know what we do? We wonder. We say, Brother Hines, why is it that we're, uh, why is it all our kids are going into these schools and they're blowing up the schools and they're shooting people and they're killing people? Why, Brother Hines? Why we don't understand it? Listen. By the time your child is 18 years old, they will have seen 200,000 acts of violence on TV or the internet. 60,000 of those will be murders. And this is not even counting all those war games they play on these videos, killing and shooting everybody. And we wonder, why, why? It's because we turn the television and the internet over to them and that's going to build their character and set their minds. We wonder, Brother Hines, why is it today? Why is it all these people are living together? That marriage doesn't count today. About half of the people today are living together. Brother Hines, why is it? Why is it today that 53% of the babies that are born today are born to unmarried mothers 30 years of age or less? Why? By the time your child is 18, they will watch 100,000 sexual liaisons. And 91 to 94% of those will be outside marriage. You see, we have a choice. We have a choice that children really matter to us. And we can bring them to Jesus or something else or we'll care them or we'll let them go to something else. Proverbs 22, 6, you know it. You train up a child. Folks, training is getting involved in their lives. You get involved in their lives when you train them for sports. You go and you take them to the practices. You go and you sit and watch them practice. You go to the ball games. You buy the equipment. You help sell stuff to raise the money. And you get involved. You're in the training process. How can it be how can we invest so much time in that and so little time? What really, really matters to our children. Deuteronomy 6, the people of Israel about to go in the promised land, and God was concerned about the next generation. He says, you parents, here's what you do. You talk to me when you get up in the morning. When you walk along the way, when you sit in the house, and you go to bed at night. You let your life permeate. That's what's involved in training. Jesus, children mattered to him because of his touch. Secondly, I want you to notice because of his anger. Because of his anger. 
The disciples, can you believe this? this? We are so much like the disciples. You know what they do? They rebuke Jesus. Well, they don't necessarily rebuke Jesus. They rebuke the parents. Notice the last part of verse 13. But the disciples rebuke. Folks, by the way, you look that up, that's a harsh word. I mean, they weren't nice. They were not nice. It wasn't just like a little scolding. It wasn't like, you know, they said in a firm voice. It was bad. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Now, I don't know why they did that. I don't know if they were trying to protect Jesus because of the wear and tear on Jesus. I don't know if it was because they didn't think children were so important. I don't know, maybe it was just because they were tired of the kids. It could have been probably more like that because it seems like the children were always there. Now, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do with them? Notice what happens down verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of God. Folks, you see that greatly displeased? That's really strong. Jesus was livid. In fact, let me tell you, it is such a strong word, that's the only time you'll find it. It's a compound word. It's the only time you'll find it in the Bible. Jesus was livid with these disciples who had the idea, why are you bringing these children to be? That is the idea of the disciples. You know, I wonder today, I really do. I wonder today if Jesus looks down and he rebukes us. I wonder today if he rebukes us when we complain. And we constantly complain about the noise of little kids. We complain about the mess they make. We complain about the conduct. I don't know, but it seems to be in this text that the sound of little children, that was the sound of joy to Jesus. I remember it several years ago. In 2007, we built, we did a $3.6 million addition to our building. We built a new auditorium. Some of you have been there. We built this big, beautiful fellowship area. Always pretty, always so nice. In fact, it was so nice that uh, before the new high school was built, sometimes the school would come and have their banquets there, and uh, they enjoyed it. We were glad to get the people in our building. And then we start bringing the kids. We have a little preschool there, one of our most evangelistic tools that we have. The kids are in that building during the week in our fellowship area, and they're playing, and they're riding their little wheels and doing this and that. On Sunday nights, after church, the kids go to the fellowship area and play. On Wednesday nights, they go and play. I guess it's because they got tired of the old folks saying, y'all quit running around like that or something. I don't know. On Sundays after church, they go to the fellowship area and, and they pray. Play. Then one day, the folks come and says, we've got to do something about those kids. They're knocking holes in their walls in that pretty auditorium fellowship area. And they were. 
And they got these scuff marks all over our floor that we buffed. We got to do something about those kids. People were getting all riled up. Got to do something about those kids. Till some wise sage reminded us that you know you can you fix a hole in that wall pretty easily. And you can take a little machine and you can get those scuff marks up. But it's very, 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 very hard to repair the heart and the soul and the life of a child. Amen. You know, what you get angry at says a lot about you. What you get angry at says what you care about. The disciples, they get angry because they bring in the kids. We see what they cared about. Jesus got angry at the disciples because of what they said about the kids. Why? Because children mattered to Jesus. I got to move on. I, I forgot to ask David what time, but I know David's saying, just, just keep going, brother. Keep going. I don't know he's saying that. I'll get through in a minute, folks. Children mattered to Jesus because of his pronouncement. His pronouncement. Notice verse 15. He said, As surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter into it. Boy, there's a lot there that I don't have time to go into. You see, there's something that children have. Children are dependent, right? Children are trusting. Children are receiving. He says, that's the way we need to be. I mean, you think about it for a moment. You, when you go and take your kids out to eat, you never have one of your children to say after you leave the, hotel, uh, the restaurant and say to you, hey, Dad, next time I'll get it, do you? No. They're ready to receive again, right? But now we humans, we're different, right? You take me out to eat, and I'll say, I'll get it next time, right? And Jesus says, we need to become like these children. We have to be. We have to be dependent. We have to be trusting, and we have to be receiving. Now, what's implied here to me is this. What's implied to me is that children can discern spiritually. We should never forget that. You see, it's in these early years. That's why you'll see the word children used in the small kids and the infants. You see, folks, what happens is in those early years where we get them. It's in those early years where their, their mind is like a sponge and, and we can shape it and we can mold it into the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know, sometimes we get the idea that you can't talk religion and, you, and you're not going to really uh, be what we ought to be until they get about 18 to 20. And then you start talking to them. Folks, I've read several surveys and one of them I read, and this was several that said the same thing, and that is by, when a child is nine years old, their spiritual values are set. You think about it. You go back. You don't have time to go through it, but you go through the Bible and you'll see the word child. Notice there, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child. It doesn't say a teenager. It says, you train up a child. Why? Because their minds are available. That's why they should matter to us so much as moms and dads and as a church. That was over in Romania. And they're all bilingual, those young people. One of the young ladies I was talking to spoke five different languages. 
amazed me. We saw, I, we just happened to have a child psychology with us on that group that went over to do mission work. And I was telling her about it. I said, she spoke, and I asked her, I said, how'd you learn? She said, well, somebody, I watched cartoons, and I learned the language, somebody I learned it in school. She was 16 years old. And I was telling this to the child psychologist, and she says, oh, yeah. She says, it's an amazing thing, but he said, she said, you know, children can grasp languages very quickly. Because when you are a child, you learn languages and other things in a different part of your brain than when you do when you're older. And that part of the brain as a child is just like a sponge. And it soaks it up. Over and over again, you'll see children train up a child. That's why, folks, children matter. Mom came to me one time and said, Brother Hines, Brother Hines, listen, says, here's my 16-year-old and he's in drugs and he's in this and he's in that. And Brother Hines, I want you to straighten him out. I want you to teach him about Jesus. And I thought, listen, you've waited 170 pounds and 16 years too late. Because it begins with children. Well, I see my PowerPoint guys want me to get on with the show. So we'll get on. Children matter to Jesus because of his blessing. Notice verse 16. And he took them up in his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. Can you imagine Jesus? Think about that. I mean, picture Jesus just taking those little children up in his hands and and hold of them. And he puts his hands on them and he blesses them. They'd been touched by Jesus. And that word blessed there means he fervently blessed them. Children mattered to Jesus. Jesus gave little children three things. He gave them time, he gave them touch, and he gave them prayer. And folks, if Jesus valued children, so should we. When it comes to the matter of children as parents and as a church, we need to love the children, we need to accept the children, we need to teach the children, and we need to receive the children. Never been there, but there's a church out in Kansas, so I'm told. And you can go to the sidewalk in the main entrance at the front of the building, and you'll see a set of little footprints in the cement. The story goes like this. About 20 years before that time, a little mother, when that sidewalk was being poured, brought her little child there and put those feet and pointed those feet right toward the church building as a way of saying, I'm going to bring up that child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Sometimes I wonder, maybe we ought to have some more wet concrete pads around our churches and our parents make the same commitment and our churches make the same commitment. You know, Folks, here's how I am. 
when a child has godly parents who love that child, invest their time and energy in that child, and not turn over the rearing of that child to television or the internet. And when a child has a church that cares about it, where the old and the young and everybody's involved, bringing up that child. You know what? I like the chances of that child. I really like the chances. We sing this song of invitation this morning. Today, if you're an erring child of God and there are things in your life that you need to correct, you'll have that opportunity. I don't know, maybe some of the things that we've said today has made you to look inwardly at your life. And maybe there's just some things you need to take care of. If you're not a child of God, you have a wonderful, wonderful opportunity right now to be born again of the water of the Spirit. To come and to confess the beautiful name of Jesus. Being willing to turn from your sins and to turn your life around. And participate in his death by being buried with him into baptism. Letting the blood of Jesus wash away your sins. You can do that too. While we stand and while we sing.